Hey, everybody, this is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, and this is Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am back, back today with my special Texas friend. He is the executive strategist from Salesforce Marketing Cloud. We've been apart for like multiple weeks on the show because it's summer and people are doing stuff. Mr. Adam Brown is here. Jay, I've missed you. It is so great to uh, to be back on uh, Social Pros with you. And uh, it was a great uh, a great show today to uh, to start the fun again. Yeah, it really was. You know, if you think about, it's easy to forget the impact that social media has had on how we communicate, the impact that it's had on the traditional media. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, that, you know, media just wrote stories in the newspaper and TV and radio, and that was the deal. Now, social Twitter in particular is, is, oxygen uh, for communicators and for media. And our guest this week, Bruce Kennedy, who's the head of social media for Cision, uh, is right in the middle of that maelstrom. He really is. And one of the things I like about Cision and one of the things I like about this podcast is you spent time in PR. I've spent time in PR. A lot of our listeners have been PR practitioners and are very familiar with Cision, but a lot of them maybe not even have heard of this and recognize the tools that uh, the publicists and communicators use to help connect them with journalists and uh, and content creators and influencers. And that's a lot of what uh, the decision is about. And what I think Bruce has really done a great job on this show talking about is, is how they, as Cision, uh, are almost using and eating their own dog food to promote and market their products. Absolutely. Also, really nice section in this podcast about how modern crises unfold in social media and how you can prepare and arm your organization uh, if something untoward were to happen and, and uh, you get into a Twitter backlash. We talk about that as well. And in addition, some some global communications issues too, how to use social media outside the US and a section on employee advocacy, how to use social uh, to amplify the thoughts of your own team members. So we cover a lot of ground in this episode. You're going to love it. Here comes Bruce Kennedy from Cision. This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert. Welcome to season six of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince and Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Hi, it's Jay Bear, and this week's episode of the Social Pros Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, who have a complete guide for B2B social media marketers that you can download right now. It will show you the best types of content, the best time to post content, the best channels to use, what kind of metrics to use. It is super comprehensive and absolutely free. Go to bit.ly slash social B2B guide. That's bit.ly slash social B, the number two B guide, all lowercase to download it right now. It's from our friends at Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Also, the show this week is brought to you by our pals at TechSmith. Man, I love, I use TechSmith tools all the time. Snagit and Camtasia. With tools like these, anybody can create custom screenshots, screencasts, videos. If you're trying to merchandise your results internally and show your boss how great you are at social, 
you can be using a lot more visuals than you're using today. If you need marketing videos, but you don't have a production team, Camtasia is for you. It's for folks who don't have video experience. Communicating with visuals is more important than ever. Camtasia and Snagit make it easy. Go to techsmith.com slash social pros. That's techsmith.com slash social pros to learn more. Thanks so much. Bruce Kennedy, social media manager from Cision is our guest this week on Social Pros. Bruce, how are you? And thanks for being here. Doing great, Jay. How are you? Living the dream. Now, tell the folks at home, all of our many tens of thousands of listeners, and thanks to you and everyone of you, by the way, tell me what Cision actually is, because it is like a, a crazy collection of stuff now. I mean, you guys have, have right. gotten amalgamation. so big. It is an amalgamation. Yes, Adam Brown. So, so folks who may think of Cision as, as a media database, and it is still that, but you also right. do a lot of other stuff, social listening, influencer ID, et cetera. Uh, give us a little description if you would, please. Yeah, so the idea now is that we are an earned media software stack. So anything that your comms department would need to do, top to bottom, you can log into the Cision Communications Cloud and do. That covers some of our more traditional products like media database or press release distribution, down to everything from uh, insights and analytics and tracking conversion events on your website and things of that nature. Talk a little bit more, if you would, about Cision Insights because um, I've had the chance to do some work with uh, with Cision, and and that's a pretty special product. Like that that uh, ability to to kind of make earned media measurable in in a way that it really hasn't been historically is is pretty cool. Can you talk through that a little? Yeah, definitely. So um, as you probably know, Jay, my background's in PR. So this is something that's exciting to me because the idea behind Cision Insights is to get the PR department the same analytics that the marketing department, advertising department have been working with and using to get the lion's share of the budget historically. So the way that it works is... Say if you have a mention in the Wall Street Journal, for example, and Cision's media monitoring picks that up, in our system, we assign a tag to that that's similar to a cookie. We do an information exchange with advertisers who have the demographics and firmographics for those particular pages, like the Wall Street Journal. They have all the ad information for that. And then we funnel that into our system. So traditionally, if you've been mentioned in a tier one publication, you might look at readership or unique monthly visitors. Now you can look at how many people read the exact article that you were mentioned in and what actions they took after the fact. Bruce, it has to be interesting to, uh, to work in PR and marketing and social as social media manager for Cision in a company that helps companies, well, with their PR, marketing, and, uh, and social media. Do you believe that there's kind of an expectation that that what you're doing in terms of marketing and promoting Cision really has to be at the top of your game? Because in a way, you're you're demonstrating the value of all of your technologies, the values of your processes, the values of uh, of, of your consultancy. A hundred percent, and that actually, it's interesting because my background as my background in PR, I think, lets me speak to our customer issues and speak to our potential customers in a way that really makes sense to them because I've been in the same position. So for a prospect, for example, I've been in a position where I'm trying to get more budget for an agency that I work for. I'm trying to get more budget from the CEO to invest in a product like Cision because I've done that during my PR days. And then in the same thing with the uh, customer service side of things, the exact same complaints people 
tweet at us are the exact same complaints that I had in the past. So that background and being able to address those things is really helpful. One of the things that Jay mentioned in the opening is how Cision has grown uh, through, uh, as we call it, an amalgamation, but a lot of mergers and acquisitions of companies that just like uh, Cision proper have been focused on assisting marketing communications, PR people in their their activities. So by definition, they're going to be doing a lot of social media activities on their own. How do you kind of reconcile all that? How do you wrestle all these social media practitioners that are wanting to do their things, but recognizing that you've got to kind of have one vision, one brand for for Cision? How do you gel all of that together? So I would say there's two things. One is just communicating a lot internally. Um, and making sure we have documents that outline our tone of voice, um, cadence, uh, brand guidelines, stuff like that. That's definitely a big part of it. The other one, I think the way we approach content helps with this a lot. So for example, a brand like PR Web, that customer is always going to be looking for content around how to create the best press release. But that doesn't necessarily feed all the way up into the decision story that we're trying to tell as a technology stack. So what we try to do is whenever we preview, say there's here's three tips on how to write a great press release headline that's going to get engagement. We try to funnel that up into what the communications cloud as a whole can do and preview the types of analytics that... So you take the point solution and you can talk about that on its own, but then you also talk about how it fits into the stack. You noted that you're kind of a PR practitioner. That's your that's your background uh, before joining Cision, uh, which probably makes you a lot like Jay and I. And that sometimes when it comes to marketing and PR activities, we're our biggest critic. And I'm curious uh, if you found that promoting Cision to marketers and communicators is is harder because everybody's their own critic. And do you have any tips? for how when you're trying to reach not necessarily just the journalists, but the people who are also trying to reach those journalists and, 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 and stakeholders and, and practitioners, any, any, any advice you can give uh, to, uh, to our listeners? Yeah, one of the biggest things for me is staying active in the PR world. Um, you know, you go from agency life to in-house and you might switch roles like I did from PR to social media. And you kind of run the risk of you know, you've been out of PR for five years, but you keep telling everybody the same advice, thinking that customers have the same problems. So one of the best things you can do <laughs> from a social perspective is just ask, try to have as many conversations as you can. Um, you know, we host Cision Chat every Thursday to try to um, have an open dialogue with our customers and users on social media, even if they're not customers, just to hear you know, what's, what's your biggest challenge in public relations today or marketing or social media so that we can really stay kind of ingrained in those issues. What time is uh, Cision Chat on Thursdays, Bruce? 2 p.m. Eastern time. 2 p.m. Eastern, ladies and gentlemen, Cision Chat, hashtag Cision Chat. Tune in for that. Speaking of, of Twitter, I know that, that Cision is active in, in the pantheon of social channels, of course, but Twitter still is a really important channel for you. Uh, and right. I presume that's because journalists tend to oversample in terms of their use of Twitter. Therefore, yeah. public relations and communications practitioners also use Twitter more. So if we said, hey, uh, here, here's a, a cross-section of a, of a different brand, somebody else has been on the show, 
it seems to me that that you guys put more emphasis on Twitter than a, a lot of other brands, and it's because of the composition of your audience. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly right, and it's driven by media taking to Twitter first. So PR, comms professionals, anyone who's trying to connect with media follows. So that's where we end up spending a lot of our time because that's where our audience is. Do you think that'll ever change? I mean, you see LinkedIn as I think ascendant would be an appropriate word for kind of their role in the B2B consciousness right now. You see people putting more attention in LinkedIn, creating more videos on LinkedIn, et cetera. Do you think we'll ever find an an era where journalists will start to use LinkedIn or maybe something else uh, more so than than Twitter? I could see, if anything, I could see it being LinkedIn. I don't know if more than Twitter, um, at least as much. One of the things with that, I think there's a huge opportunity on LinkedIn for content creators. Moving forward with LinkedIn, LinkedIn was slow to get you know a lot of variety in the types of content you can post. Yeah. They're just now ramping up video capabilities and things like that. And I think that that sort of lack in what they've offered in terms of the types of content you can put out is why the adoption there has been a little bit slower, but that's definitely the one we're keeping the closest eye on in terms of growth. Some folks who are listening to Social Pros may not know that Cision owns Hero, H-A-R-O, Help a Reporter Out, which was a, a, a sort of bi-directional news sourcing email originally created by former Social Pros guest uh, Peter Shankman. And, and it's sort of its own kind of community and its own sort of brand. Can you talk a little bit about how Hero works for folks who aren't initiated and then also how you use social to sort of promote and propagate that particular decision function? Yeah, so uh, Help a Reporter Out is a pretty simple product. Um, if you sign up for it as a PR pro, you will get email notifications that have a list of journalists and stories that they're working on and they're looking for a source. So on the other side, journalists sign up they say, I'm working on a source about um, paying off student loan f- debt for um, USA Today. And then they put that into a query and communications professionals can pitch people they have to speak on that story. And then in terms of what we do on social for that, there's a lot of back and forth with our customers on social there. It's actually a really engaged channel, especially on our Twitter and we tweet on the hour updates with hashtag urgent horror request so that we're sharing that content on Twitter too. So if you're following us on Twitter, maybe you didn't see the morning email, you might catch there's a journalist looking for this type of source and be able to uh, reply to it right there. In a way, Bruce, you're kind of like an idea matchmaker. I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to, uh, to match up all the, the journalists. And I've always found that an interesting uh, and, and novel concept. To that point, you know, one of the things I think we're all recognizing is that the whole idea of what a journalist is and does is is being defined and redefined. Uh, where you know we even right. here on this podcast are using the word content creator and things like that, and you know what's the difference between a journalist and a content creator and and the like. Your world in terms of decision has primarily been that journalist, that traditional journalist who typically is, is, is writing a script or writing an article, probably went to, uh, to J school, uh, all the traditional trappings of, of, of a journalist or, or media reporter. As we're seeing that kind of audience change to be more content creators, are you also finding that, that some of those content creators are potential or likely or even active customers of, of Cision and all of your services? I'm just curious how all that's kind of evolving today. Yeah, there's definitely an overlap between our customers and then content creators and influencers. Um, even some influencers 
who are more social media focused want to get in front of traditional journalists. So they might use a product like database. Content creators might use a product like PR Newswire or PR Web to distribute a piece of content and bring more eyeballs back to it. So there's definitely a lot of crossover there. What aspects do you find a content creator focusing on as compared to a traditional journalist? Are, are content creators just looking for sheer publicity? Uh, are they searching for, for story ideas? Um, are they obviously trying to all promote themselves in some way, shape, or form, or, pr- or promote their work product? What, what differences do you, do you see kind of in, in, those two, in those two audience groups? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of differences that come up um, if, from terms of pitching those people if you're trying to work with them on behalf of your marketing team. Um, obviously, influencers, there was, there was some confusion for a couple of years over that and what an influencer partnership looked like. But now it's pretty widely accepted that that's expected to be a paid partnership. So that definitely brings in some difference there. It almost makes the traditional media side of things more difficult than ever because a lot of brands look at, um, say, an Instagram influencer or a blog influencer, for example. They have a set price right there on their website. They know exactly what they need to do to start working with that person. Whereas you see a reporter who works at the New York Times and you can spend years trying to get on that person's radar without knowing exactly what they're looking for doing so successfully. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like we, we've paid public relations professionals to sort of be that conduit, whereas for, for influencers, you just pay them directly and sort of cut out the middleman the same way that TripAdvisor yeah. or same way that, that Expedia cuts out the travel agent middleman or, or right. Charles Schwab online cuts out the stockbroker middleman. It's, I haven't thought about it that way until you mentioned that, but it's, uh, it's an interesting uh, set of circumstances. One of the cooler things that we've done recently that I really like is we've been mapping social media profiles for traditional journalists back to their contact information within the database. And what that can do is say you have a reporter who works at TechCrunch and they cover startup funding. You might notice, if you look at it in the Decision Communications Cloud, you might notice that he tweets every single day about Star Wars and he's listed as being influential on Twitter about Star Wars. So that doesn't mean necessarily that just mentioning Star Wars to him in an email is going to guarantee you get placement, but it does give you some background information based on, so this is the traditional journalist, but this is what he's influential in on social media. And that can give you some hooks and ends to craft better pitches for that person. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a that's a cool angle. What do you think about activating the employees at Cision. You guys are the big company, right? You got a lot of people working there now all over the globe. How, right. how important is employee advocacy and, and sort of getting your team members to talk about the company or to share potential pieces of content? You guys do a lot of research projects and things like that. Uh, how, how much is, is sort of turning those team members into uh, influencers on behalf of the organization part of the strategy that you're employing today? It's definitely part of the strategy that we're employing today. Whenever we have internal company emails, we're always sharing click to share options with that and encouraging people to share a product update or share um, some sort of company news. And we have an internal social network that we use as well to kind of share information about exciting things going on throughout the company, which is great because that can kind of organically create content that people will share on actual social media, um, you know, if it's a congratulations 
to an employee who did something really great, you know, sometimes we'll see that spill over into traditional social media, even though it's an internal network. Um, and then also I'll source that for content. Um, oh, smart. Yeah. So if there's something, you know, someone's 10-year ten, ten anniversary or whatever they're celebrating in the Albuquerque office, I might never hear about it if I don't uh, catch it on Yammer, which is our internal social network, but it gives you great content to share there. That's, that's a great idea because I'm assuming, just like you, a lot of the people at Cision come from PR, marketing, advertising types of backgrounds, and they're going to have such a great network of, of prospective right. customers or active customers. Yeah, it's definitely something I think we need to do more of moving forward um, and kind of look at some new ways to activate and new ways to encourage people to share. Um, so it's definitely something we're looking at doing more of, but it's been something that it's, it's also had a part of our strategy for a long time. We're at this weird place right now, uh, societally, where there's a lot of brand backlash incidents, right? A brand makes some sort of a, a misstep, perceived or real, and, and, and the natives grab the digital pitchforks off the wall real quick, right? And so uh, crises uh, dusts up very, very fast, and, and companies are, are held to account in a way that would have been unthinkable uh, 15 years ago, really weird 10 years ago, and even five years ago, um, you know, when I was writing books about social crises, the speed right. and the ire and the just the, the viciousness of that kind of yeah. backlash just simply wasn't there. As, as an organization that helps companies kind of think through and do social listening and say, oh my God, we have a problem on our hands, you know, press the, press the red right. button. What do you think about that? Like, where does this, where does this lead? Like, what's the end game here? Um, is, is it that everybody has to have the quote unquote social media war room? Adam does a lot of setups of those for big brands. He's amazing at it. Is that where we're headed that, or is there some other conclusion to draw from this? I think, unfortunately, it is a bit of where we're headed. I think you always have to have a crisis plan now. Um, it needs to be baked into your overall communications crisis plan strategy. Um, for what happens on social. And one of the interesting things about social media is those crisis communication plans have to be a lot more specific. Because if you put out a press release about um, some sort of crisis, some brand crisis, and you make a statement on it, whatever you do, you don't get the type of immediate questions where people start trying to poke holes in things like you have on social media. You have a very savvy audience there and they those types of those war rooms have to be a lot more active now because they have to be anticipating, okay, if we say X, our audience is going to ask Y, and we need to be able to answer that. So you've got to think it through more so in advance, right? Almost your own internal FAQ. Right. It's almost like you have to come up with your crisis messaging and then have the red team, you know, someone who goes through and tries to poke holes in it. Interesting. More of that, more of that desktop, you know, let's, let's play this out role playing. Actually, Adam, did you find, find that in the stuff that you're doing at, at Salesforce and, and helping brands think this through? I think so. I mean, one of the things, you know, back from my, my, my PR days uh, was, was how we helped customers and actually did mock crises events. I mean, we would pretend, and I'm going to show my age here, but we parade into the headquarters of a, of a customer and pretend to be 60 Minutes, you know, Mike Wallace and the camera and the microphone, you know, looking for the, uh, for the spokesperson to, uh, to ask them the questions. And that would be how we would start a one-day or, or half-day training session. And, and that was appropriate because you only had, you know, you had that amount of time and to, to deal with a news cycle or maybe two news cycles. But as you said, Bruce, today, 
I mean, the news cycle is, is measured in minutes and you've got to be so ahead of the curve. And I think that's where, you know, tools like Cision can help to, to be able to understand who are those go-to people that you need to reach to quickly. And then tools like, you know, our tools from a social listening standpoint with Social Studio or the Sprinklers or the Spreadfast, the Brand Watches, the, um, the and et cetera, can help be that early warning radar to help you kind of predict and see when something's coming down the pike because you're going to have to respond to it quickly. Right. And one of the things that I find fascinating is that as those tools have gotten more advanced, brands have gotten less knee-jerk in terms of how they respond to stuff. So without those tools, you used to, somebody would say something on social media and you have no idea whether it's picking up traction. A lot of these things you can monitor in real time now and get alerts. So I feel like you see a lot more of brands not putting their foot in their mouth by responding to something that they probably didn't need to respond to or respond <laughs> to so thoroughly in the first place, which is a nice change of pace because let's say about five years back in social media, there was this prevailing thought that you have to reply to everyone, even if they're being completely unreasonable, which there's still some there's still something to be said for that. But I think brands are more relaxed on what they feel they have to do in that regard. Kind of to that point, one of the things you talked uh, to us a little bit in the pre-show was around something that you're excited about. And that is that brands are taking chances in social, maybe not around issues and crises events. Um, right. But, but you, know, you, you mentioned, you know, for example, uh, you know, Wendy's you know, being edgy. And right. brands like REI and Patagonia that are taking political stances. And I'm curious kind of if to have you elaborate a little bit on this. You know, is this, you know, in a way, is this companies like REI and Patagonia just trying to break through the clutter uh, and, and try to do something that's a little bit sensational? Or right. is this more about a shift in how brands are starting to market themselves to individuals who are more interested in a brand stance on political and sensitive subjects. I'm curious kind of where, what, what you feel kind of from where you sit at Cision, working with many of these marketers and communicators and agencies. I think a lot of it has to do with the better data and better insights and better understanding that people have of their audiences now. I think that helps brands like Patagonia and REI, for example. You know, you can look into social, uh, political leanings and things like that through social media now. And I think that just knowing their audience really well helps them be able to take a stand on an issue and say, okay, I think how we feel about this particular issue aligns with most of our customers. It's actually going to make them more loyal customers moving forward and identify more with our brand. And the percentage that's going to be upset by something like this isn't going to have as much of a negative business impact as that sort of positive that customer loyalty and really sort of feeling on the same page with the brand. And I would say the same thing for brands who are a little more edgy, like Wendy's or Gushers is a great example. If you follow Gushers on Instagram, they have a hilarious feed where it's just like tacos full of Gushers and weird things like that. But, <laughs> we got to check but, that out. We got to link that up in the show yeah. notes. Okay. Yeah. I'm opening up another window. Yes. As we, the, the team that is listening uh, to this, uh, remember Gushers on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and I think they've they've realized who you know their consumer who's on Instagram, you know, is going to find that funny and want to follow that content. Their can the Gushers consumer on Instagram isn't going to be interested in the nutritional benefits of Gushers or a scientific study on how 
eating candy makes you happier or something like that. They've really dialed in that content. So while it might seem more risky than ever, I think it's actually calculated in a lot of ways. Well, and it's also consistent, right? Which is one of the things that that brands are not particularly good at, especially on Instagram. Uh, I find that that sort of a a random collection of photos like your Grammys scrapbook doesn't typically work on Instagram on the brand side. But um, so, yeah, I mean, even if it's, even if it's unusual, at least uh, people know what to expect, right? They can tune in on on a similar topic. I wanted you to weigh in before we get to your background on the use of Facebook Live and in real-time social to to fight crises, right? There's been some good examples of brands just turning on the camera and saying, yeah, we messed it up. Here's here's what we're going to do about it. Uh, do you feel like we're going to see more of that? Or, or is that something that, that is too risky for most brands to jump into? I hope we see more of it. Um, I think it's great. I think uh, coming from a PR background, you have a lot of... You get a lot of talking points where you're like, no one's going to buy into this or CEOs or brand managers who are, you know, talking around an apology or something like that. And it just doesn't appear to be very authentic. And I think jumping on a Facebook live... The apology, I called it in a... Uh, oh, that's good. apology. Right. Yeah. The, we're sorry you feel that way about this. Yes. No, it's, it's if you are, if you're offended, we're sorry. That's the good one. Right. Right. Which means... Doesn't it doesn't mean we're sorry for what we did at all? We're sorry about how you reacted. Exactly. It's not an apology whatsoever. So I, I wish I wish it was more relevant. I hope it's more relevant moving forward. I think the idea of I think you still have to have those traditional gateways, putting out a press release, going in front of traditional media, answering questions where there's a journalist, an expert who can kind of challenge you. But I think the second part of that is you know, just going on Facebook Live and letting your customers answer, ask questions. One of my favorite social media campaigns I've seen in a long time was for the Moz Toolbar relaunch. They basically did Jimmy Kimmel's mean tweets with mean tweets about that product. And they had all the developers reading them off. And they were like, I wish one day I would wake up and the Moz Toolbar would work. They'd be like, me too, me too. But they did that as a... Hey, we're relaunching the product. That was a great um, one. Yeah. Which was yeah, such a good campaign. Preemptive pain. Yeah. Well, and I always feel like if you're doing a Facebook Live and you do it right and it's long enough and you give people a, t- a chance to tune in, from a crisis perspective, you're going to learn a lot about what's really bothering people because you're getting the real-time comments coming in, right? So it's, it's almost like a live crisis focus group, which can have its own benefits. Um, you know, in, in addition to the real-time ability to communicate your side of the story, you can also see what people are like, no, that's not true. Like, I'm not buying that. Uh, and, and, and that feedback can be really useful. And it can also be really painful. Right. I never thought about it that way. But you think about the, uh, the old focus groups where they have the dial on whether they like this person based on what they're saying right then and there. And that's the, the new age version of that is you know, whether people are liking your live video or or if they're commenting, you know, angry emojis or whatever else it is. Bruce Kennedy, social media manager for Cision. I think one thing we can agree on is this darned PR world has changed a little bit. I mean, from the uh, from uh, from people meters and, and dials to uh, to real time focus groups on Facebook Live, the world has has definitely changed. I'm curious. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times you come from a PR background. 
wanted to see if you could share with our listeners a little bit about kind of how you got to this point and, and that crossover, much like myself, of, of going from being in the uh, PR world, at least for me, being in the PR world, agency-wide, then corporate-wide, and then as a right. supplier or a vendor-wide. You've kind of followed in, in similar types of footsteps. Could you, could you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So uh, when I was living in Chicago, I worked in PR and I worked with... Uh, a lot of entertainment clients and then a lot of technology clients. Um, so everyone from Red Bull, Disney on Ice, Monster Jam, Medieval Times on the entertainment side. And then on the tech side, I worked with Tech Week Chicago, a company called Okta, Datascope. And on the tech side of things, my job kind of evolved into more content marketing than it was PR. The strategy that we kind of used is we would outline content ideas, then author them, and then we would pitch them as story ideas. If they didn't land, then they would live on the blog. So as I got more into the content side of things, I kind of naturally got more into content distribution, started doing more social media um, for clients, started getting more involved in the analytics that comes with that. And then so Wincision, our sort of PR analytics provider, had an opening for a social media manager, it was kind of a natural progression. Jump to the vendor. I love it. Uh, it's a it's a fantastic <laughs> career path. Join us. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you uh, can play was, with this tool all the time for money. There was a funny, uh, kind of funny story about that. One of during that whole uh, transition where I was looking at being more data oriented, my first uh, step wasn't to jump ship. It was actually to try to upgrade our decision package so that we had more insights and analytics and. Uh, when we didn't get around to that, I kind of wandered over to the career section of the website. So that's kind of how I ended up there as well. That's awesome. I love that. Adam, is that, is that how you joined Salesforce? In, 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 a, in a way, yeah. But I mean, I think it, you know, I was a customer before. So I mean, I feel like that Remington microscreen razor guy who who liked the company so much that he bought it. I, I certainly did not buy Salesforce, but but joined Salesforce because I was like, this this area and this space is is transforming, like you said, Bruce, so quickly. The world of public relations is changing at a, right. uh, at, at a crazy rapid pace. And the idea of who a PR practitioner is is changing. And the idea of who that journalist or that, you know, if we call it a carrier pigeon, if you will, that connection between us and the end audience is changing too. It's, it's a neat time to be doing what we're doing. Right, Jay? Right. I mean, it's and the best time to be doing what we're doing. I mean, I mean, you know, the good news is it changes all the time. The bad news is the same, right? So, <laughs> you know, it's like, we'll take it. We'll take it. Bruce, I want you to give us one tip. This is a question that we ask every guest. The one tip for, for people who are looking to become a social pro, what would you tell them? I think the best thing you can do is get out there and start doing the work. There's a lot of content out there. There's a lot of great blogs. Um, Buffer has a great blog for social media. Convince to Convert has a great Thank blog. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of resources, but until you actually start doing the work, you can listen to as many Facebook ad webinars as you want when you actually get into the platform, unless you've played around with it for hours and hours and hours on end, you're not going to know what to do. So yeah, my best advice would just be to find a way, um, whether that's through a freelance gig or stepping up at your company and volunteering to help create social media content. Because it's, it's, it's an interesting field. There's not, I'm sure there are now, social media degrees or as much of a and like you said, Jay, it's changing all the time. So even reading a guide on how to do something 
from six months ago might be totally irrelevant. Now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, think about Instagram, right? Just in the last, since Adam and I did a show together, um, Instagram TV came out and uh, we talked about it on the show recently with Jen Herman, but you know, it's just, Instagram was always, it was important, but you know, it wasn't that long ago. It didn't exist at all. And now it's a big part of people's social strategy. You've got three different strategies as we talked about on the show. You have to have a, 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 you know, a regular posting strategy. You have to have a live stories strategy. And now you have to have a live TV strategy. It's like, whoa, that wasn't a thing. And so if you wrote a book about social right. um, that said, you know, here's what you need to do and Instagram wasn't part of that, then now what, right? It's time yeah. to get another book. Right. And just being aware of those opportunities is such a big thing because if you're, if you're behind on a particular platform, you don't know, you know, Instagram stories, for example, you could be in a brainstorm meeting where Instagram stories is the exact piece of content you need to bridge that gap. And, you know, you're just kind of handicapping yep. yourself by not being yep. up to date with it. Last question for you, Bruce Kennedy, head of social media for Cision. If you could do a Zoom video call with any living person, who would it be and why? Any living person, I'm going to go with Dave Chappelle. Oh, good oh, wow. answer. And uh, that's Adam, I'm pretty sure that's our first Dave Chappelle. I, and I'm surprised at that fact. That's but great. Uh, bravo, Bruce. Tell us yeah. more. Uh, well, I, I have a, hu a huge love of stand-up. I do some stand-up. Dave Chappelle, I think, should be studied in communication classes for the rest of forever, um, the foreseeable future. Because... If you watch some of his stand-up and his specials, I think he has a way of cutting through an issue, especially with his more recent stuff. He seems to be immune from the sort of backlash that a lot of comedians get for jokes nowadays that aren't PC or um, you know upset somebody. But Dave has such a clever way to cut to like the heart of an issue immediately, mm -hmm. and you appreciate the observation itself so much. That even if you you know feel like it's an uncomfortable subject or it's a little bit off-putting, just the way he's able to communicate on stage, I'm such a fan of, and I'd love to talk to him about his creative process. All right, we have our work cut out for us. Uh, Dave is not uh, one to do a lot of media, but we'll, we'll see. Chappelle <laughs> on social pros would be uh, probably our highest-rated episode. Adam, I, I would think so. I think we can do it. We, we got to find what we need to do is use a tool like Cision to see what reporters have covered Dave because they'll know him and then we'll just see what happens. Well, we'll work backwards. We'll connect the dots. Right. We'll yeah. make it happen. Let's do it. Let's do it. You should get him to speak at your conference, Adam. Uh, Bruce, you guys do a, an event. Get uh, get Chappelle. Chappelle yeah. Force. I like it. Yes. Also true. Yeah. Why isn't Chappelle at Dreamforce? Adam is smirking on the video. You guys can't see this, but I wonder if Chappelle is actually booked for Dreamforce and he's just not telling us. <laughs> I'm going to have to get tickets for Dreamforce. Yeah. <laughs> you should get tickets for Dreamforce anyway, Bruce. So should everybody. Bruce, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for the great work that you're doing at Cision. Folks, if you haven't spent much time kicking around the Cision comms cloud, definitely uh, do it. Because it's as we said, it's an amalgamation of a bunch of great stuff that you can put into practice uh, to make you a better communicator and, and a more measured communicator as well. The insights and the data stuff is pretty rad. So Bruce, thanks so much. And to everybody out there, thanks as always for listening to us at Social Pros. We are delighted to have you uh, each and every week. Don't forget that every single transcript, every episode of the show dating back almost nine years now, nine before years. there was an Instagram, uh, before there was Instagram, is online at socialpros.com. So tune in there and we will catch you next week for another episode of Social Pros. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext. And it's produced by my team and I at Convince & Convert Media. 
If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceaconvert.com.